you got to come see my band play. And yeah. you're going to all of these shows of all of your friends. You're always seeing these bands playing. And I never wanted to be the person that said, like, come listen to my podcast. Come listen to my podcast. <laughs> right. I didn't want to be that person. So I didn't tell anyone what I was doing. This week on the Adulting Well podcast, we have Brandon Chadwick, creator and host of Narcissist Apocalypse. It's a podcast about domestic violence. So this content might be sensitive for some listeners. We'll have some resources at the end of the show. Thank you very much for listening. You spit yourself, boy. Watching me suffer. Suffer your words, suffer your eyes, suffer your hands. Suffer your interpretation. Hello and welcome to the Adulting Well podcast. I am your co-host Pepper and I am joined as always by Kevin McCracken, the hardest working man in show business. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. And we are joined by Brandon Chadwick, who is the host and creator of a really interesting podcast called Narcissist Apocalypse. Um, and I, I have to ask you just right off the bat, the name like, how did you come up with this along with the format of the show? Because and we'll get into a little more deep dive into the show itself, but it, it's, it's pretty amazing. I've been listening the last few weeks. So the name was, um, I, I, you know, Mel Brooks is a hero of mine. And I, I think that Mel Brooks kind of created my sense of humor of that era. Um, you know, the Simpsons, SCTV, obviously Saturday Night Live was a big part of it. And um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Monty Python as well and Kids in the Hall. And ah. um, there was a book that w- came out and it was actually by Mel Brooks's son, Max Brooks. And it was a zombie survival guide. And oh, yeah, um, I loved the format of the book. And I had a website where I was doing these um, mental health blogs, like humor blogs. So I, I was like, okay, this could eventually be a book. Let's just start doing blogs. And I, ca- I called it uh, How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse and started <laughs> using the format of Max Brooks to start uh, writing it and just kind of fleshing things out. And eventually what happened was, you know, my website failed. And I was like, oh, what's the best thing that I was doing? And it was that. And so I loved doing it. And eventually that uh, turned into me just like finish this as a book, finish this as a book. And like, oh, who's going to buy this book? And I was like, oh, everyone's doing a podcast. Mm -hmm. So I started a podcast as the character from my book, not as myself. So it was a humor show, except the difference between doing a humor show and writing humor and being funny by yourself with no sure. one to play off of sure. was very foreign. I was not good at it. It was terrible. And that's kind of how the show started before things changed. And things changed when on episode three, which is now episode one, uh, I brought in a friend of mine to help me. And I noticed something was going on with her and there's something wrong. So I started asking real questions. Like I was breaking character. Mm-hmm. And in the process of breaking character, uh, a, and a real interview happened. And then I put it out. And then, you know, four weeks later, a stranger listened to the show and said, don't do the funny stuff because <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> funny at all and just do those interviews and i said sure right. i can do that I can, I can do that and then that's how it kind of started rolling and then eventually we tightened up the name to just narcissist apocalypse and it was just a name that kind of popped and it was just very to me of the time of like what was actually going on and the intention of it becoming a show about domestic violence was never the intention. It was really at the beginning about like, what's the next generation of kids going to look like? Because the, like we grew up as generation Xers um, in an era where we had, we were, we had maybe personal computers as a child. 
Uh, we were the first kids usually uh, like on the internet. Us and Commodore 64, m- baby. You had a Commodore 64. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a 1040, sorry, an Atari 1040 ST. Yeah. And and that was, you know, I think that was like one megabyte, like sure. yeah, or 10 sure. megabytes or something like that. So, you know, we lived in that era. So it was kind of like, what's going to happen to these kids um, who didn't live in that era and know nothing? So I created a character who was like, beaten down by life and family and all those things and now he just wanted to warn a the character world. yeah and career. <laughs> no no autobiographical material whatsoever <laughs> exactly um yeah so it was about an adult child and named Chad. Sure. And um, that's kind of how the ball kept on rolling, really. I bet, uh, did you find, I bet you found your humor in that anyway, right? Because once you started getting into serious stuff, you probably found ways to 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 riff and, and, and find humor to just kind of shield yourself from some of that pain in those talks. Oh, yeah. Like, I, with all of that, um, I have a dark sense of humor. Like, I'll joke about anything and um it's easier to deal with things like if i think about past things or all those things you Mm -hmm. can for me it's like you can only laugh about these things sure um and i also sometimes you know because of, of of certain ways of when you grow up or how things are done um i have an appreciation for like a good con you know, mm. I've been conned pretty good. <laughs> so one of the toughest things, like when I do the show and someone has been conned perfectly or really well, I'll, I won't, I'll, I'll empathize with the person what's going on, but I'll also like really call out like that was a really finessed con. Like, it was really <laughs> intricate way it was actually done. And like my hat's off to the. I sometimes I will yeah. occasionally I will sure. say that because you get a specific type of con man mm-hmm. who's really in it more for the money a lot mm-hmm. of the time, um, and you have to like be like, you want you want to, we want to show how the con was done so people feel less shame about what happened because yeah. a good con man is a good con man. Sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you, yeah, oh, I see. To take the shame away and and be like, look, this person is really qualified. Good at what they're, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so it is a super serious subject matter. I mean, you and I have kind of gone back and forth on a few things over the last like couple months since we met Brandon. And, you know, I just I want to commend you on just doing that. One of the things that we talked about that I think is interesting is sort of your how you built this thing basically on your own. I mean, you, you obviously you mentioned your friend that helped you out, but you know, uh, we, we kind of, you, you said something that made me want to have you on the show, which is basically like, I did this thing punk rock style, like it's DIY, <laughs> you know? And so talk a little bit about your kind of background in the, in the punk community. Cause we, that's, you know, that's our show. We, we love talking about that. Yeah. Have you always been making little things and projects and blogs and, and stuff? <laughs> Yeah, very unsuccessful ones. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I'm a kid of the, you know, obviously, my part of my childhood is the 80s. And then, you know, it, 1990s, 1991 was my first year in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, for me, you know, the whole grunge scene and everything there was a huge influence on me. Uh, George Carlin, um, <laughs> Bill Hicks, like those types of comedians. Um, Were you hanging out with like drama kids in high school? Is that the um, crew? Or what no, was your deal? like I, I'm the kid who didn't smoke, but would hang out with the kids who smoked. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Fascinated with the edges, but don't want to. Yeah. Like I was, exactly, yeah. you know, I smoked weed. Um, I took acid and mushrooms okay. in high school. Um, but you know, but you didn't in, smoke cigarettes is what you're saying. I didn't, I didn't smoke cigarettes <laughs> at all. No, uh, that's where I draw the line. So within that, I mean, those bands of that era really had a big effect on mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually, you know, 1993, you're at a rage against the machine show and you're just going to, in that era, it was just ex- more accessible probably than way more accessible than it is today to go to a show. Um, this was in Toronto, so all the it, bands it was in came Toronto. Yeah. yeah, so 
I was really into music in 19, as soon as I went to high school, for some reason, the computer in our high school could, I don't know if it was on the internet or what it was doing, but I was, I was really obsessed with Jane's addiction. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was just like really trying to find as much information as I could. And you go to the store and you get bootlegs of whatever you could yeah. find. Yeah. And I don't know, it was just kind of, you know, he created Lollapalooza. Oh, yeah. And he was Is just, that what you were drawn to? Not just the music, but the the kind of um uh work ethic of, of, of the Um it was more you know, it wasn't I think it was more of I think the kids of my generation, or at least my friends, were you know, we weren't allowed to have uh emotions, kind mm. of. And then all of a sudden yeah. here is like these group of people who are brooding and like giving sure. us an opportunity to be like, oh, hey, we can, you know, discuss these things. And within that, you know, if you love Pearl Jam or you hate Pearl Jam, because uh, people are split on that one. Um, not you know, anymore, they, though. Didn't everybody come around? Because I... Well, I, I'm not sure anymore. Okay. But for me back then, it was like, okay, yeah. you know, they took on Ticketmaster for us yeah. because of the crazy prices. And that just kind of really all sunk in with me. And it really never left me in that sense of like, you know, they were given a platform and they did something with the platform, at least to try and help mm-hmm. people. And I think that's kind of the most important thing that they they saw that there was a responsibility that they could have and use it for for good. Yeah, And yeah. I think that's what was like the thing that was instilled in me the most that um, to kind of be, be who you are, even though it might take a long time to get there, do mm. it your way. And when you get there and you've, you've built something, um, you know, you have a responsibility to whoever is listening or who it's for. So that was kind of my thing. And because of like the humor that I grew up with, um, you know, social political kind of humor was really at the forefront of everything, especially with, uh, you know, Mel Brooks and and just satire of like craziness that's kind of going on. Mm-hmm. So, and he, to me, was like the maverick of mavericks in movies. So it, it kind of just started to really um, shape my brain. And, you know, as people were growing up and going into the real world, it was very difficult me for me to do that. Cause I didn't feel like I fit within that. And, uh-huh, sure. um, I'm not someone who is good at working for other people. Right. And I always loved, um, you know, my, a long time ago, my sister's boyfriend at the time was putting on a play. I loved just going out and handing out the flyers. Mm-hmm. Like I loved all of those things of getting people to, uh, events, um, you know, anyone that needed like a helping hand doing those little tiny things, it was relaxing to me to go out and mm. do it. You know, sure. you were getting people to come to a show and or you know, your friend was working a market somewhere and you're there, you know, helping out and doing it. it was, I like the grassroots aspect of all of those things. And, um, you know, just it just for me was something where um, I always wanted to kind of start something from the bottom and like mm-hmm. work your way kind of through it and, mm-hmm. and learn that way on the job. Cause for me, learning on the job is way easier than school or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, I, yeah. I actually learn. Did, uh, how did you get started thinking about mental health at all? Like you said, you had a blog and, and I know that like, I know how I, you know, I dated someone that made me go to therapy at one point and that sort of kicked off everything for me. Um, but um, yeah, for me, it was kind of the same. Uh, there, there was someone in my life who, um, was a friend with benefits, but I was in love with them. Sure. And they ended up having, they were always trying to show me that I was a little screwed up mm-hmm. and to push me in the right direction, but I would never listen. Right. And then one day, uh, they got a boyfriend. And it really threw me for a loop. I was like, okay, this is a pattern. And I didn't recognize that any of this was a pattern. But now it had happened kind of so many times. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this, this is a pattern in my life. You were and sick then of all it. the things that that person told me to go look at, 
Mm-hmm. I then went and I read it and I was like, oh, this makes sense. And then I kind of started to go down that road and being like, okay, I'm not as, I'm not that I never thought I was a normal human being at all, sure. but I'm like, there were so many things that I just never dealt with. Yeah. And that kind of just started getting the ball yeah. rolling. And then you start yeah. to really address the things in, in your life. It's enlightening, right? Because you go, oh, I'm not necessarily just an asshole. This happened and I react this way. And there's a very good reason for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I was, I was a doormat. I was a doormat mm-hmm. for everyone. I didn't know how to say no. Um, I was an extremely codependent human being. And that could be codependent to a human. It could be codependent to like work mm-hmm. and anything. Mm-hmm. Um, guilt ran me. Uh, obligation ran me. Fear ran me. So I was trying to, whereas you might have been a jerk, mm-hmm. uh, Pepper, mm-hmm. uh, you might have been a big jerk. You probably had controlling tendencies and you had that in a way where you know, you're a jerk and you had controlling tendencies. I was a doormat, but I also had controlling tendencies because I'm doing it from the perspective of overdoing things for people. Hoping look how to much get I control. did for you. for you. Look, why aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I might not even say, look how much I did for you. Sure. I just would silently be in like, sure. I would hope, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. that things would work out. Yeah, wow. I mean, and, I, I, I just want to jump in on the the comments you made about guilt and obligation and fear. I mean, I think, it, you know, and we've got a mutual friend that, you know, David Dopey, you know, I think that that's such a, like a, 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 a normal thing for people that eventually have substance use issues that have, you know, mental health issues. Like, even if you do have that controlling part where you're trying to like, you know, a lot of times the control can be that thing where you're like, making other people feel that guilt or, you know, sort of like yeah. cater to your victimhood. You know what I mean? So it yeah. like, like I do that still, you know, and I, I, I think I told you like 24 years clean, you know, and I'm here, I am still like trying to manipulate people with my like victimhood about certain things, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think it, it sort of like is something that, um, that a lot of people struggle with. And I, I, I love the fact that you're honest about it. Um, I think actually as people overcome it and which clearly the way you're talking about it, there's some past tense in that. Um, there's, there's this like desire to sort of, you know, to sort of like be able, be able to be honest about it. And um, so I appreciate the honesty around those, those kind of, you know, character defects as they call it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's also, you know, I think it, it leads us to a lot of empathy as we get through it ourselves. Um you know, how, oh how- yeah, because now, yeah, when you see someone who's an asshole, don't you think, shit, like they they're having a bad day instead of totally, you know, totally. If you're having a good day, you can think that. If you're having a bad day, you might think otherwise. <laughs> That's a good point. But with you know all that thinking, when the codependency, like I live in a world now where. You know, we're looking for, you know, if you're looking at like a red flag of someone, if someone is really playing a victim card, like really hard, you know, you kind of have to take a little bit of a step back and see like, how are they using it? Like, when is it being used? Is it being kind of used against you? So um, that's now just kind of part of the world. And also, you know, codependency is an addiction. Um, And it's just like all addictions when, uh, when you have it. Um, you could have to work on it every single day to, you know, to remind yourself like, Hey, I can't slip back into what it was before. But, um, when it comes to, um, I guess the DIY of the show, um, the DIY of the show is, you know, when you're starting out doing these things, you're, you're just doing anything. And I love, um, as I said before, I love postering. I love going around town. I love like walking and putting them up. I love it when I make the sound with my staple gun <laughs> and, and I can see the people look at like the poster once I leave. And, you know, when you're doing it, you're creating a community and it's like a one person at the, at a time type of thing. Mm-hmm. And there was this, uh, I, the my favorite video store in Toronto is called Suspect Video. It had a great horror selection, and I love the people that work there. 
And one of the people that worked there was this guy named Chris. And Chris was, you know, five foot five in a hardcore punk band, bigger in Europe, would tour Europe and then come (laughs) back like to Toronto and he'd work there. And one day he looked super tired and I go, what's going on? He looked really tired. He's like, I got to go to my other job after I go, what's that? So it turns out that he was sitting one day outside a health food store eating this food that he made. And the guy asked him, the guy walks by and asked him a question about his food. And he said that when he was on the road, he would use this vegan baking uh, grease that he created himself. So this guy asked to taste, to try it. So he said, sure. So he tried it. And then he goes, can you, he goes, I have this many health food stores. Can you package this stuff and deliver it to me? And he said, yeah, I can do that. All of a sudden, this hardcore punk guy, tattooed and everything, um, is now making vegan bacon grease at like a thing. And I'm like, this is amazing. I was like, how did that happen to him? Like, were those things you're kind of in life that were like, you know, these little magical things that happen where you have this thing and you kind of run with it. Mm. And his thing got bought by a big distributing company eventually. And I hope that now he got paid well and that he can just play music for the rest of his life. That would be pretty cool. Um, But when it happened to me, I knew that, you know, I also had, once I realized the seriousness of the subject matter and like, I real, I knew it the whole time. Like I, this is something that's very serious and, I had to put a lot of work into that, but um, as far as like just learning more, but um, it, it, you know, once you have it, you have a responsibility to it. And just like how I grew up with uh, the bands that I liked, um, you know, this thing was here, was there, and I felt I have this responsibility to take it. It was there for me, and. I really looked at it as like, okay, what am I doing and what are the rest of the people in this space doing? Mm-hmm. And interviewing people in the manner that I did it. Everyone is doing like true crime shows mm-hmm. and and things like that. And they're really, um, you know, they're making, you know, you can say what you want about true crime, but a lot of people, when they watch it, they don't think of the other people as a human anymore. You know, it's entertainment. And the humanness has been lost of this tragic thing that might happen. So I just give really the opportunity for people to tell their story their way. You know, there's no bells and whistles. And to me, that was like very punk rock. You know, we're just as bare bones as you can. Um, There's no crazy music in between like sets. There's no production. You know, my style in life is always what I call like, if I have an art style, it's called craptastic. You know, it, it is just, it's, it, it's what it is and whatever, you know, I'm not a refined person, whatever art I would make, it's not going to be an, a beautiful final product. What can I use or do that fits that style and where I won't be yelled at or, you know, oh, your sound was terrible or whatever. This person that you're listening to was uh, in a car uh, far away from a home where they're going to, you know, where they're abused, trying mm. to get any cell signal they can. Screw mm-hmm. you for telling me that the sound is terrible, you know? So w- within that, like we can, we don't have to have anything that's perfect. And um, it kind of gives you leeway when you're making the show and you're now you're trying to help people tell stories as best you can. And I think that's where it was like, okay, let's kind of be, you know, um, help people tell it in their way where people will listen the whole entire way through, um, respect their stories in as, you know, as much as you can, as far as like, I have to pull this part out to get here, to get there. You know, people understand that we want people to listen the whole way through when we do recordings. Um, but we're really, we started just doing something no one was doing, which was just, you know, letting people tell the, tell it their own way. And to me, that was like, you know, a lo-fi punk rock or something, you know, it's just, you, you got the thing, your garage band and you played, there's no yeah. real producer. Tell me you went out and you put flyers up for each episode around Toronto. <laughs> um, yeah, at the beginning of uh, what I actually, at the beginning when I had a little Come bit more here. time, because as the show got bigger, I got, um, 
uh, I didn't have as much time, but I would hand draw, like if someone, we used a name for someone and it was like, let's say it was Jennifer. Mm-hmm. I would then hand draw a picture of like Jennifer Lopez instead of Jennifer, like the real Jennifer. Mm-hmm. And then I would like, we would take a famous person and then I would put posters about them like being like domestic violence and like Jennifer and would look like Jennifer Lopez or something. Sure. And then I'd stick it somewhere and I would just, um, you know, just start postering in random places. There's one time I had like, I think like the first 15 people, I did like 15 of the people all attached by tape together on a construction site at like a really busy corner thinking like, oh man, today everyone's going to love, like this is interesting to look at. I put it up and then like two hours later, I went to go like come back and look at it. City had already ripped it down. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, making those things and like just kind of uh, going out there, people were finding your show. Uh, even, you know, earlier this year, I hadn't put up a poster in a little bit of time. And this, I was at a, a function. I was watching someone's uh, movie that they had made. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anyone else there. And somebody started talking to me. I, I didn't want to talk to anyone, but someone came up to me. And I hate it when people ask me, like, hey, the first question is like, what do you do? I hate that question. Um, I was just like, um, I tried to kind of dance around it. And then um, eventually said, oh, okay, have a show. And then like, what's it about? And I said the name of the show. And they're like, oh my God, I've seen your flyer. <laughs> and I was so proud of myself. That's so awesome. I was so proud of myself. He goes, so what kind of politics is your show about? I'm like, my show's not about politics. Did you realize? He only saw the name. That's when I realized I needed to change my flyer around. So now my flyer in big letters, instead of the name of the show, just says domestic violence instead mm. of the name of the show mm. because people were getting confused before but a lot of people found the show through uh, the flyers in the city i mean so. i think it's so, it's so amazing because that's i mean how many shows did we find in the early 90s because of flyers right i mean there wasn't this like in- extreme like social media which i i actually think burns people out like you get, i get so many show invites still and it's like i don't even know what to do with that like it's just like it's overwhelming but to use that same kind of DIY tactic and just flyer your your podcast, like you might be the only person that's ever really done that in a meaningful flyer way. for a podcast. Yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> like I mean, I'm sure there's like show posters. I mean, I, I see like ear hustle around and stuff because they do like you know things with the public library here. But like, it's just a whole different thing when you're coming from that DIY ethic. And you know what what were like when you started you you talked about like Jane's addiction who i mean obviously totally amazing groundbreaking band but um like what were some of your influences for the sh- the show itself as far as like the DIY side of it so um i had two big influ- influences for the show the first one would be the dopey podcast mm-hmm. you know i was an addict and i have friends that were addicts and one of my friends one day said hey listen to the show and I listened to the show and it was, it was so infectious, like right off the, the bat. And I was, I guess, two years behind <laughs> when I started to listen. So I was like, okay, like the, the, here's just two, two guys. They're in Dave's dad's apartment <laughs> and right. they have what I assumed was a really terrible computer. <laughs> and they were using the onboard mic uh, of everything. And I'm like, okay, these guys are, are, are doing it. Like they have a following now. Like I knew they had like a, a big following and it started off with, you know, they just put it out there and YouTube, you had to do video. I was like, I don't want to be on video or anything like that. It was like the simplest kind of form of expression in helping mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, if these two guys, these, <laughs> these two, you know, I now know Dave um, because, you know, I, I've always, I contacted him and he's been a very good support uh, of me uh, very early on. And, you know, these two guys who are like really just squabbling a lot of times with each other and telling stories could, you know, find a community. And like, I was like, okay, they found a community. And like, I kind of have a community like that too. Like, like it started to build in that way. I'm like, if these guys can do it, like I can do it and you don't need great sound and you don't need good editing. You just need to connect with people. 
And I think that's a, a big thing that people don't understand when you're doing these shows. Uh, you, you, the main thing to do is you want people to connect with other people and to know that they're not alone in whatever process or struggle that they're in. And it's done in a way where, you know, it's a big part of the show now is like, okay, I, I say a story is a story is a story. But if you can just talk about your feelings for 10 minutes and people can connect to your feelings, they have the exact same feelings as you. They might not have the exact same story as you, but if you have the same feelings as someone that gives people a language, but it also gives you a connection to other people. So the Dopey podcast was a big um, influence. And the other one was Beautiful Anonymous. And Beautiful Anonymous is um, done by um, Chris Gethard. And he's been on you know Broad City at the Chris Gethard show. And um, he would have people call in. He had to stay on the phone with them for an hour and he just listened to their problems. <laughs> and, you know, he would chime in. He had humor about it. And that's what I was like, I was found interesting about that, how he could chime in with a little bit of humor. So when I was listening to that, I was like, oh, it's a very simple concept, but it's very human. And he brought a little bit of a lightness a lot of the time to some very serious subject matter. And I was like, how do I do that? How do I, like, it was really in big, was like, how do I bring a little bit of me in there? Um, because I am a man child in so many ways and I am mm -hmm. silly and I'm goofy. And, but like, so I tried to kind of figure that out um, of like, where can I bring myself in here and there? And where do I bring the serious version of me? Uh, in there when it needs to be there. And, you know, because so, I have to be there side by side with someone to make them feel comfortable. Um, and then occasionally you'll get some people who have a dark sense of humor mm -hmm. and you can kind of horse around a tiny bit with them, but like not like more at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have kinship with certain people in the sense of like you grew up somewhat similar, possibly. I sometimes, you know, the second person I ever had on the show, I could have finished his sentences. <laughs> he was identical to me. We had different upbringings, but we were the same person. And those are cathartic experiences. And then you kind of learn from people at the same time. And it's all becomes this like kind of mishmash of learning and like sharing experiences. And, you know, when the internet, you know, began for me, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it began for people long before me, but for me, it was my dad came home with his laptop from work and it had the phone jack in the side. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay. And he also had a CD thing in the side. And I ran to the store to get one of those PC mags magazines. And I got the disc and I put it in the sign aside and I signed up and I think it was AOL I went through AOL, CompuServe, Prodigy, all of them. Sure. Oh, yeah. Because I went over the minutes and I went over the minutes in literally like a day. And I was on the phone with them. I was like, yeah. do you have an unlimited plan? No. I'm like, well, we have to figure out something. <laughs> and I was so amazed by being able to speak to someone that mm -hmm. was, you know, the first, I remember the first person I was speaking to was this girl in Washington state. I was like, what did you do yesterday? And I'm like, I talked to this person in Washington state <laughs> on my computer. And it always amazed me. And when the internet started to roll further and further, what got me upset a lot of the time was like, oh man, like people aren't appreciating like how amazing this is still like that you can do this. And it was this amazement of it that always kind of stuck with me. And I always felt like I was doing something at the time that no one else was doing in that yeah. era, or yeah, at least yeah, very yeah. few kids were. Yeah. And, you know, I like the counterculture. Like in, I'm a big wrestling fan. So in the mid nineties, you know, you weren't watching the WWF still until later, but like you were watching ECW from Philadelphia and like alternative kind of things during that era. And really the subcultures started to, you know, I started to watch, I'm a big movie fan. Eventually I'm like, I can't watch. You have to go into the subcultures of things. So when it came to the show, I was like, it, 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 the feeling of me being this kid again and being able to reach out yeah. from anywhere around the world and connect with someone was just like, 
the coolest thing to me. Like I still get that feeling of when I go on and like talking to you guys, how like this is pretty crazy. Like I yeah. don't, I don't lose that appreciation at all because just have, you know, for me, there's this childlike nostalgia to it that I attach to it. Um, so when I'm talking to people, I have all these different emotions of like, okay, you know, we're hooking in here. I'm 17 years old in a lot of ways still. I'm not an adult, um, but I'm trying to be. So, you know, in the show, it, like a lot of the times with the show, it's matured me as a human being. Hmm. You know, I'm an, an old or a young adult. And in a lot of ways, I'm like, okay, like here's, you have to be, start being a little bit more mature <laughs> right now. Right. And like, this is now your job. And yeah, like, you yeah. really have to like really sell it and you can't take this for granted at all. You can't take anyone here for granted at all. And it was interesting to find my way, you know, to this after so long, um, finding an art medium that yeah. works. You yeah. know, a lot of people say like, well, this is a show and like, it's a social justice show and all those things. But it, to me, it's also art. Um, I'm helping people tell their stories. Um, and beforehand, we put in a lot of work to um, help people tell those stories and to really figure out how it is uh, done and to the best way to tell those things. So it's a really interesting process that it's pretty fulfilling. Um, and I never could have told, four years ago, I couldn't have told you that this would be my life. Um, but I'm pretty, it's pretty special to, to be able to do this. I really like what you said about, I think there's an aspect, if you're a creative person to the, to the internet happening, that's kind of a little different than for other, than other people. Cause we often think of the internet as this consumer thing, right? You're able to consume all this different stuff, but for a creative person who is like you putting up flyers or Kevin putting up flyers or mailing tapes, demo tapes out to people like when the internet happened, it was kind of a magical thing for a creative person to be able to distribute their ideas so easily to so many people yeah. it was really i mean it's still I mean, like it still blows my mind that i can record a song and put it up on soundcloud right like that's a that's crazy mm -hmm. it's incredible i mean i think too a lot of what you're you're talking about like you make yourself accessible brandon in a way like mm. when we talked about just podcasting and what's going on with you and kind of where you're at with your show. I mean, I think we had set aside maybe like 30 minutes to talk. I think we ended up on the phone for like an hour and 10 minutes or something, you know, because you're easy to talk to too, because part of the reason for that though, is you doing your own work around this. And it's, I wouldn't say it's so much about becoming an adult, but it is about like emotional growth and emotional maturity. Right. And so I, I just, one of the things you said, I really want to like go back and call out again is the connection part of things. Connection is the cure to many of the world's ills. If you can connect with your with the people around you, your community, the people that you engage in a meaningful way, and I'm not talking about just like, hi, how are you doing? You know, that superficial stuff. It, it really can change a dynamic of not only your relationship, but your outlook on life. And I think that's one of the things I really have liked about listening to your show is you do give people the space to tell their own stories, but you also empathize with them. You know, and you don't have to have gone through their experience to have empathy for what they've gone through, you know, and so giving people space, but also making that space feel really comfortable. And mm. so, you know, and I mean, I'm not being honest, like this is one of my favorite interviews so far that we've ever done on the show. Like, I'm, I'm just like, I'm so pumped right now. I'm like, oh my God, we need to be interviewing every day, new people again, you know, and like just jump back into this, you know, super hard because we have a. We have a ton of good content coming out in January, which will include this, the show, but you know, the, it's inspirational to get the reminder that like, this is basically an extension of like me playing hardcore music for most of my late teens and early. 20s. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. this show is like, is my, is my punk rock concert now, you know, like this is like going to Gilman street for me. You know, oh, this is the Brandon, you got Kevin pumped. Yeah. I've never seen a guest <laughs> get Kevin pumped before. <laughs> so, Look at you him. know, but I also think there, the seriousness of and, and how you landed on the, the content and, you know, I don't I don't I don't pretend to know your whole background, but um, I know Joshua has somebody there delivering something right now or something because he just twitched when that doorbell rang. But um, I think I think it's uh, it's it's amazing what you've been able to build, you know, and and the 
hearing you talk about it, now I know exactly why. You know, you take the time to really, like, not only be thoughtful about the show itself, but, like, you basically, you have an approach that you use that has worked, right? And I, and I think that that's, you know, having that consistency and that caring about your guests is really important. And, um, you know, I, it's just, you know, I've got like a million ideas going on right now. But I, I, think, uh, I think one of the things, talk a little bit more about how you've connected with the other people in your life, not just the show, because I think that's probably helped you to get to where you are, including Dave. I mean, Dave's a great guy. Come on. He's the man. Well, you know, the one thing about the show as far as like connecting with people, I didn't tell any, you know, when you're starting the show, well, I'll go back to bands. You know how you're on Facebook and during whatever era, everyone's like, come see my band play. Come see my band play. You got to come see my band play. And you're going to all of these shows of all of your friends. You're always seeing these bands playing. And I never wanted to be the person that said like, come listen to my podcast. Come listen to my podcast. <laughs> right. I didn't want to be that person. So I didn't tell anyone what I was doing. <laughs> um, so for a very long period of time, no one really knew what I was doing. I, I even got like a text message. I think it was last week from someone who I hadn't seen in a very long time who went out with a friend of mine. And they're like, they sent me a link to my website and they're like, is this you? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, they're like, when did this happen? Like, I, they were like, I have so many questions for you. <laughs> so it wasn't something I was like, hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Because it was also that thing in my head saying like, um, don't be one of those people that like you're doing something good that you have to tell other people that you're doing because therefore it doesn't it's not good anymore mm. so you try not to kind of be that person yeah yeah but but when it comes to the show and in connecting with people the amount of friends that i've made through the show has been really interesting um from all over um who can some people will help me some people you know we just text all the time <laughs> and were you know there are people from uh you know the person who's like my de facto producer of the show mm -hmm. she's in uh new mexico uh the first person to ever help me with the show uh, they're somewhere else in in canada mm -hmm. um we have people that are in cleveland you know just so many different people all over um people that i still keep in touch with in germany and i just I have so many people that I'm talking to who are I'm like, oh, these people are my friends now. Like, <laughs> like it's Amazing. just someone said like, um, you know, will you ever get lonely in life? No, no. Like I have internet friends. Like we're friends. <laughs> yeah. um, so I've made a lot of connections with people uh, through the show that are open my mind in a lot of different ways. It gets me out of the, you know, these are the people you kind of grew up with and these are the other people that you've met in the city. Like, Here's these yeah. other people with different perspectives from completely mm -hmm. different backgrounds. And it's been a really interesting journey as far as connecting uh, with them. And then as far as, you know, connecting with your friends and, and things like that, the most interesting thing my friends here will say to me is that they, they know one version of me. They're like mm -hmm. the goofy version of me or the silly kind of version of me. Mm -hmm. So like they don't even recognize my voice. Like if they didn't know it was me, because when the microphone goes on, my voice goes into, I have a responsibility kind of mode. Sure. Yeah. And they don't know that person because they don't never, know because they yeah. see me in the context of like, Hey, we're going out. Hey, we're yeah. doing this. Hey, I'm making totally. a two cents comment. Yeah. So for them, it's an odd thing to you know, see, um, some of my friends, um, you know, wife, my friend, Maddie, um, yeah, he, he said to me, you know, that he was proud of me, um, which, you know, was really, you know, really nice to hear. Um, yeah, that means something. That's great. It, it means something when like, you know, I've known him since I was nine years old, yeah, like a friend. And, um, he was just like, he was, he was proud of me. Um, and it's not something you hear from people like, Hey, I, I, I got a big, 
a bonus at work this year. Hey, I'm proud. I'm proud of you. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. uh, you know. Um, hey, I want to. You know, my stock went up a hundred bucks today. I'm proud of you. But um, you know, this is something where someone was like, "Hey, like I, I'm I'm proud of you." And your friends, especially when you knew them from when you were young, they're the witnesses to your life. Uh, if you're still friends yes. with them, they yes. they've seen all the versions of you and the growth of you and the downfalls. And so they've seen me at my worst. And then, you know, they see me where I am now and the difference, you know, you know, how I'm a little bit more calm. Right. Um, I'm working on becoming, going from being an, a pessimist to being an optimist. <laughs> and that's a lot has to do with the show. Um, and I know that, you know, when you're talking about like the world of addiction and people are trying to make their way out of that and they need confidence in themselves in some sort of way, doing this show has given me a tremendous amount of confidence that I didn't have before. And in, in the strangest of ways, it's hard to explain, but the most serendipitous things have occurred while the show has happened. Mm -hmm. And with each serendipitous moment, like one day I was like, I said to myself, I need to learn about court. I need to learn about custody. I need to learn about all these things like divorce. I need to speak to lawyers and all these things. I need to talk to a lawyer. I went to sleep. Next day I wake up. I have an email from this former public defender from in Seattle who is now a family law and domestic violence attorney and says, you need to learn about the court. You need to learn about custody. Oh, you need to learn great. about this. Wow. You need me on your show. And I'm like, yeah. this is so weird. That's amazing. And so those things kind of started to happen and crazy things like that. And I was like, okay, the world is now in your, like something's gone on here. Like things have switched. Right, right. Just stop having anxiety and <laughs> just calm down for a second. Right. And when permission you, to chill. Permission to chill. And when you do that, um, and for me, trying to go from being a Murphy's Law type person, because that's mm -hmm. how I was raised, to being an optimist, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, here's an opportunity that I wouldn't have seen before because it was a cloud was over it. There was a door, but I couldn't see that there was a door there. That's so amazing. It started kind of shifting in that way. And then slowly but surely, you know, one day I was, I took calls from everyone early on. I was taking calls from emails, calls, anything, like, especially because I had a lot more time in the early days. Yeah. So like, I was like, okay, do this, do this. You know, I was doing that. And one day I was emailing with someone and about six months in, I was, a, at a movie theater, I'd been texting with them or emailing with them all day, 10 minutes before it started. And the person said, you're a stranger who helped me. <laughs> now I'll help you. And I said, wow. what does that mean? And they said, well, I um, run a big advertising firm. I will teach you how to brand yourself. Oh. So I was like, okay. So she then gave me homework. It took me about a month to complete. And then she's like, okay, now implement it. So she didn't have anyone do the work for me. Right, right, right. But like she taught me how to do all those things. And that was like, I consider that to be like um, narcissist apocalypse version two. Because mm -hmm. version one, it was how to survive the narcissist apocalypse. She made me shorten the name and all these things. So, you know, just connecting people and like talking to people and putting yourself out there in a way that a lot of people might not have done, which podcasting gave me the opportunity to like do it in a really easy fashion. And it's done, which is difficult for a lot of people to do to say this is over and it's done and it's out in the world. Yeah. Um, and then things just started magically kind of happening. And I was like, okay, this is the new way of thinking. Like, <laughs> obviously I am still a Murphy's law person, but I have more opt. Like the show has changed me in many ways. It's a, such a it's a show about self discovery, really. Right, right. And so we're we're coming up on time here. Do you do you have more serendipitous uh, things happening <laughs> in the future to you? Yeah. Are you? 
Do you have big plans or are you just going to roll with it and see where the universe takes you? Uh, right now, I'm rolling with it uh, to see where the university takes me. What I want to do this year is I want to create the, a big financial uh, literacy part of the website. So it's not just going to be about the show. I want to kind of create uh, videos and just overall, you know, when people are, the people that really don't have a dollar um, who are financially abused, who are in small towns, who really can't find a way out, want to create at least some content for them on our website that they can sure. figure out like credit and all those things to get themselves back out there. And also a thing that we're going to be doing is if anyone has uh, Etsy stores, services, you know, anything that they're doing that they can do, um, they're not going into an actual place of business that they have their own businesses. We're going to create a portal on our site so you can put your store and all those things so people can click through. And then we're going to eventually, you know, when we get enough of them, like do a campaign of like, hey, if you're going to buy something from someone or you're going to use like a copy editor, use yeah. these people because they're trying to save enough money to get out of the situation that they're in. Oh, great. So great. just to try to do like little things like that because we have a platform mm-hmm. um, and as we're growing and then maybe, you know, a sponsor will come in and, and help us. But at this time, it's like, I'm not going to wait for a sponsor. You know, you can knock as mu- much as you want. We're going to make our own noise. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Look at that, Kevin. How come you're not doing all that? <laughs> Building a portal for, for, uh, for people. So to put something their- I'm just saying, come on, man. Come on, man. Yeah. It's a, it's the least, I was in it's the, like last night. Come on. <laughs> it's like the least Did amount of work that can have the biggest of impact i think that's yeah. great that's a good way to look at it um gosh this has been fantastic can you come up will you come on again someday i just want to keep talking to you i'll come on all the time yeah. you need a sidekick regular guest brandon brandon will be a regular guest <laughs> i'll do it i'm down i'm down <laughs> perfect kevin do you have any uh final thoughts i'm i'm I, you know i already like brandon from our first conversation i'm totally blown away now so i'm not I've, well I've already, i feel like brandon and i are kind of better friends than you and brandon <laughs> because we hung out before the show started we hung out. what were we talking about before we started everything what, everything yeah, but, but remember yeah. i said let's save this for the show let's not oh, talk about it and then gosh. i don't even think we got there i think you were talking about in coven how magical it was to go out because no one was out there and, yeah. oh yes it was, <laughs> yeah we but we'll save it for the next time okay yeah. okay all right. Well, well thanks, thanks for listening, everybody. Brendan, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Listeners, apo- uh, Narcissist Apocalypse uh, yes. is the show. Go listen to it. Go to the website. Thanks again to Brandon for coming on the show. As we mentioned at the top, domestic violence is a serious issue, especially in the United States. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is available. It's thehotline.org. You can call, chat, or text. Call is 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-SAFE. You can chat at thehotline.org, or you can text START to 88788. If you're in Canada, shelter safe. Help is just a click away sheltersafe.ca. They've got a network of people that can help right away, get you into a shelter as soon as possible. If you're in imminent danger, please call 911. Please take care of yourselves. Adulting Well Podcast is a production of DBI Media in association with Glassbox Media. We want to thank everybody again for listening. Please, please take care of each other.